Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. 500 years ago, on the 31st of October, 1517, on the eve of All Saints Day, a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg. And this act triggered what is known as the Reformation. You see, up until that point in history, there was only one church denomination in Western Europe, and that was the Catholic Church. But after the Reformation, we suddenly saw the birth of many church denominations, such as the Lutheran Church, the Anglican Church, the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, the Presbyterians, and so on and so on. So if it wasn't for Luther nailing his thesis onto the door 500 years ago, there wouldn't be an Abergavenny Baptist Church here today. Now, of course... Luther's goal and idea and aim wasn't to start multiple denominations. His whole goal, his aim, was to reform the Catholic Church of his day. Hence the name, the Reformation. But why did he want to reform the Catholic Church of his day? Well, it all started with a very personal struggle that he was having. You see, Luther never felt that he was good enough for God. He, he never felt that God would truly accept him. And so in order to try and earn and gain God's acceptance, he gave up all worldly pleasures and he became a monk. In fact, he was an extremely devoted monk. Uh, listen to his own words. He, he writes this. He said, I was a good monk and kept my order so strictly that I could claim that if ever a monk were able to reach heaven by monkish discipline, I should have found my way there. All my fellows in the house who knew me would bear me out in this. For if it had continued much longer, I would, what with vigils, prayers, readings, and such works, have done myself to death. So he was a monk, but he was an extremely devout, devout monk, extremely devout. But even with all his, his vigils and with all his hours of prayer, with all his hours of Bible reading and all his other good works, he still didn't feel that he was good enough for God, that God would accept him. And then one day, he had a breakthrough. He, he had this massive breakthrough when he was reading and studying the Bible. You see, other than being a monk, Luther was a lecturer in biblical theology at the University of Wittenberg. And it was, and actually one of the courses that he taught was a course on the book of Galatians. 
And it was through reading Galatians and, and books like Romans and others that he suddenly had his breakthrough. He suddenly came to the realization that being accepted by God was not about what we have to do for God, but was about what God has done for us through Jesus. You see, he, he came to the realization that that salvation, being accepted by God, had nothing to do with his good works. It had nothing to do with how good he was, and it had everything to do with how good God was. And that's good news. I mean, that's good news, because if it's got to do with how good we are, and if you're like me, and you're kind of selfish and self-centered, we're in a lot of trouble, but the good news is it's got nothing to do with how good we are. It's got everything to do with how good God is. And so one of the slogans of the Reformation was Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. Christ alone because Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for us to be saved. Grace alone, because it's a free gift of salvation. It's a free gift that God gives us. There's, there's nothing we have to do to earn that gift. And faith alone, because the only way we can receive this free gift of salvation is by putting our trust, our faith, in Jesus. But this led to another problem for Luther. And his problem was this. He couldn't reconcile the Bible's teaching with the teaching of the Catholic Church of his day. You see, the Catholic Church of his day was saying that the way you were made right with God, the way you were saved, was through faith in Jesus and through penitence and through good works such as vigils and praying and reading the Bible and helping the poor and so on. In fact, it got so bad that the, the Catholic Church of Luther's day was actually selling indulgences. Yeah, so you, you could pay money to the church to, to get a better standing with God. So if, if you had sinned and done something wrong, then, then you, you needed to do penitence, you needed to do a whole lot of good works, and for good measure, pay some money to the Catholic Church, and that will increase your standing with God. And so Luther could not reconcile the, the, the church's teaching of that day with what the Bible was teaching. And this comes about, this is bring leads to another slogan of the Reformation, sola scripture, scripture alone. Which means that the Bible is our highest authority. It means that the Bible takes precedence. And that we need to follow the Bible's teaching over the teaching of the church or over tradition or anything else. Because it's in the Bible and through the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that reveals God's word to us on how we can be forgiven and restored to a right relationship with God. 
And so 500 years ago, this is the, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation of Luther nailing his, his 95 thesis to the door. And so as, because of that, I thought it would be a good idea to do a series through the book of Galatians. Because the Galatians is a book Luther loved. It was a book that he lectured on. It was a book that he wrote a commentary on. And it was a book that was highly influential in starting and triggering the Reformation, which, of course, totally changed the landscape of Western Europe and had a massive impact globally. So Galatians, the book of Galatians, is a very short book. It's only got six chapters, but it's an explosive book. It's a powerful book. It is packed full of great theology. I'll give you another example of the impact the book of Galatians has had. In the late 1730s, there was an incredible move of God that that impacted hundreds of thousands of people on both sides of the Atlantic, in Europe and in America. Hundreds of thousands of people met Jesus, started going to church, started planting churches. It was a massive move of God. It was amazing. Uh, it's sometimes referred to as the Great Awakening by historians. Do you know how that started? Small group of men meeting together. Seeking God. But they didn't understand God's grace. They thought they needed to do things. They needed to meet and pray and read the Bible and do all these other things in order to be accepted by God. And so there's a small group of men trying to seek God and included men like Charles Wesley and John Wesley. Charles Wesley later becomes a great hymn writer. John Wesley later becomes a great evangelist. And they're all in this group and they're trying to seek God. One day, one of, one of the men, a guy by the name of William Holland, he gets hold of Martin Luther's commentary to the Galatians, which has just recently been translated from Latin into English. And at the beginning of the commentary, Luther writes in a preface, in this preface he writes a, a summary of Paul's argument in the letter. A short summary of Paul's argument in the letter of Galatians. And so what uh, William Holland does is he goes to the small group and he says to Charles Wesley, would you read this preface to the group? Later, William Holland writes in his journal what happened. And he writes, Mr. Charles Wesley read the preface aloud. At the words, and these are Luther's words, what? Have we then nothing to do? No, nothing, but only accept him. There came such a power over me as I, I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw my Savior, our Savior. My companions, perceiving me so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. When I afterwards went into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground I tread upon. A huge impact on his life. John Wesley, much later, writes in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed. 
I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. It was a huge moment. It was a turning point in their life. And you know what they did after that? They did what any rational person would do. They took the preface to Martin Luther, Luther's commentary to the Galatians, and every night they would go to people's houses and say, can I read this to you? And that's how the Great Awakening started. The book of Galatians is a very short, very small book, six chapters, but it's explosive. Full, packed full of great theology. And so I thought let's do a series through the book of Galatians entitled Freedom in Jesus. And this morning we're just going to look at the first five verses. But even within those first five verses, we discover a lot of the big themes in, in the book of Galatians. And so we read in verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. So it, the first century letters are kind of like emails. You know, you start off, the first line is the name of the sender, Paul. The next line is the name of the addressee, the churches in Galatia. So Paul is writing a letter to the churches in Galatia. Now, Galatia was an area which is in modern-day Turkey. Paul had planted a couple of churches there on his first mission journey. And so now he's writing uh, uh, this letter to them. Now you can read about that, the, his mission journey and planting those churches in Acts 13 and 14. But the big point Paul is making over here is that he is an apostle. And uh, the word apostle simply means sent one. One who is sent, a messenger. But it implies that that messenger, the person who's been sent, has the authority of the person who sent them. It's kind of like the official representative, the official delegate. They have the authority of the person who sent them. And Paul says that he is sent not from men, nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Within the Bible, within the New Testament, you have two types of apostles. The first group of apostles... Kind of like a good example would be Barnabas. They are sent by the church. And therefore, they act on the authority of that church. But you have another group of apostles who are not sent by the church. They are sent by Jesus directly. An example of this would be the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples were not sent by the church, but they were sent by Jesus himself directly. Jesus commissioned them and Jesus gave them his authority to do stuff on his behalf. So you could call the second group apostles with a capital A. And Paul, what he's doing over here is he's saying, I belong to that group. I belong to that group. Therefore, I, I have the very authority of Jesus, and my message comes straight from Jesus. He's saying, look, no one, no church has sent me. 
I didn't just have a dream or a vision. I've actually seen the physical resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road, and Jesus has directly sent me and given me this message that I'm preaching. He's got a lot of authority. Now, I have clearly been called by God to be your pastor. However, I do not have the authority like Paul. You know, I haven't seen the physical resurrected Jesus. Jesus didn't directly send me to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Rather, there was a local church who recognized God's call on my life and they sent me to Bible college. The Bible college confirmed that call and recommended me to the Baptist Union to become an ordained accredited minister. The Baptist Union's ministry recognition committee confirmed that as well and they accredited me and ordained me. And then you guys at ABC then confirmed that calling when you called me to be your pastor. So God has clearly called me to be your pastor, but Jesus didn't send me directly. I was sent through many local churches, through a Bible college, through the Baptist Union. And therefore, I can't claim to have the same kind of authority that Paul has. You see, the, the capital A apostles are a very unique group. And they have a very unique authority because Jesus sent them directly. And their teaching is preserved for us in the New Testament. And so I don't have any authority in and of myself. My authority is to the degree that my teaching is in line with the New Testament. So I don't have any authority in and of myself, but if my teaching is teaching from the Bible and not my own opinions, then you can say, I've been sent from God and my message has authority. That's the Reformation uh, uh, slogan, sola scripture, scripture alone. So what is this message of Paul that has come directly from Jesus? What is his gospel? Well, we carry on reading in verses 3 to 5. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So firstly, firstly, take note, <laughs> there's only really one sub subject in, in, in that sentence, and that's Jesus. Jesus is doing everything. No one else is doing anything. Jesus is doing everything. So what is he doing? What is he doing? Firstly, Jesus rescues us. He rescues us. No other religion or ideology has a savior. Imagine for a moment a guy who's drowning in water and he's crying out, help, help, help. You're not going to throw him a manual on how to swim. Okay, it's not going to help him. What he needs is a rescuer, someone to rescue him. Jesus hasn't come just to teach us how to swim. He's come to rescue us. He hasn't come just to show us how to live, but he's come to live and die for us. And we're drowning. We're all drowning. We're drowning in our greed, in our selfishness, in our self-centeredness. And we just can't help ourselves. We're helpless. We need a Savior. Now, many other religions and ideologies will say, well... You know, you're not really drowning. Sure, we're not in a great place. We are struggling. 
But it's not that bad. If you just follow this teaching, if you just try hard, really, really hard, you'll be okay. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says we are drowning and we need a Savior. And the Savior is Jesus. So how does Jesus rescue us? We read in verse 4 that he gave himself for our sins. He jumps into the water and rescues us. He doesn't come to teach us how to swim, but he gets into the water and rescues us. And, and it's not just a heroic act. It's not just a display of love. He gave himself for our sins. His death is like a sin offering. He dies on our behalf. He pays the price for our sin. He, he takes all the consequence of our sin upon himself and he deals with it. And he pays the price in full. So there's nothing more we need to do nor can do because he's already paid it in full. Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And what does Jesus rescue us from? Verse 4 says he rescues us from the present evil age. Okay, what is the present evil age? Well, it's the world we live in today. A world where people don't do the will of God, where evil reigns. And it's all invasive. We become enslaved to it. We drown in, in, in greed, in, in selfishness, in self-centeredness. Sometimes we become enslaved to self-righteousness. We think, well, we can save ourselves. If, if I just try harder and harder, if I just work harder and harder, I'll be okay. And we end up becoming enslaved to our own religious rules and requirements on how we can save ourselves. But Jesus doesn't just want to forgive us. He wants us to experience new freedom. He wants us to experience new life and new freedom. And he doesn't want us just to experience when we die and go to heaven. He wants us to experience new life and new freedom now. So we're still living in this present evil age. But we don't live, we're not held captive to its principles. As Jesus says in John chapter 17, we're still in the world, but we're not of the world. And why does Jesus rescue us? Why does he rescue us? Verse 4 says he rescues us according to the will of our God and Father. He doesn't rescue us because he sees us trying really, really hard. He doesn't rescue us because we're sorted, because we're successful, because we're popular, or because we're just so good. No, the only reason he rescues us is because it's God's will. God wants to. You see, God loves you, and therefore God decides to rescue you. It's not dependent on anything you've done. It's totally dependent on the fact that God loves you, and therefore he wants to 
rescue you because he wants a relationship with you. Remember the, uh, William Holland. Remember what he said when he read Luther's commentary. He said, Mr. Charles Wesley read the preface aloud and at the words, and these are Luther's words. What? Have we then nothing to do? No. Nothing. But only accept him. Do you see that? Do you, do you see what Luther's saying? That, that, that's the good news. That's the gospel. There's only one thing you need to be saved. And that one thing is nothing. That's why so many people aren't saved, because they don't have it. You see, we're not saved because we can point to all our qualifications. We're saved when we come to admit that we don't have any qualifications. And that is the only qualification. The only qualification is to admit that you don't have any qualifications. It's only when we realize we can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. And we put our trust in Jesus that we're saved. Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that because you loved us, not, not because of anything else, but simply because you loved us so much that you came and died for us, you rescued us. You saved us from our sins. You, you, you rescued us so that we could experience freedom. And it's not dependent on how good we are, how successful we are, how sorted we are, how popular we are, how hard we try. It's not dependent on how good we are, but just dependent on how good you are. We thank you that you love us because you love us because you love us. Yet, Father, we confess that so often we like to be in control. We like to think we've earned it, and we like to strive and work and Father, please help us just to come before you and say, I need help. I need you in my life. Please come and help me. Please rescue me. Please come in. And Father, we pray that we could have those experiences like, like William Holland and, and John Wesley can say, my heart strangely became warm as I realized your love. You love me despite everything I've done wrong. That you love me so much that you died for me. And help that just to set us free from all kinds of legalism, all kinds of doubt, all kinds of guilt. And so that we can just enter into that beautiful relationship with you. And start to become free, free to be the person you created us to be, that you want us to be. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk